Welcome to our podcast, What I Didn't Learn at Harvard, where super connectors who will be talking about how to network smartly in a post-pandemic world. I'm your host and moderator, Rajiv Jadav. I'm a reputation management strategist and social impact activist. My co-host is Victor Lee. He's our Harvard alum, and he will be guiding us through all the things he's learned about networking since he graduated. In the episodes that follow, you'll be hearing from experts who do networking well. Welcome to another exciting episode of What I Didn't Learn at Harvard podcast. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, Amy Vernon. I'm looking at her LinkedIn and her headline reads, community, comms, content, connector of people and ideas, digital Swiss army knife. Really interesting. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Amy, could you break down the little Swiss Army knife part? Um, sure. I, I, um, I used to joke and say I do stuff on the internet, and then a friend of mine said that it made it sound like I was in, in witness protection. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I realized that I didn't really have a good way of, of explaining what I do, because really what I do is, is stuff on the internet. And, you know, my background as a journalist and then doing social media and doing, uh, you know, sort of project product management ish sort of stuff while managing community. It really what it really means is that um, I sort of have all of these different tools in one little package and. Um, if you need to do things online that involve other people, um, somewhere in my, in my, in my, you know, package of tools, I, I have something that, that can do it more or less. Awesome. And I was, I actually, just for, just to explain to our audience, I kind of jumped the gun slightly. I was so intrigued by the mention of digital (laughs) Swiss Army knife because I love those Victorinox Swiss Army knives myself have ha, have had several uh, throughout my life, uh, but I was a little bit remiss. And uh, our Harvard alum Victor is is going to introduce you, Amy, because I think he's a little bit more um, uh, more aware of your many accomplishments. So, Victor, I hand I am passing the virtual mic to you. All right. Th- thanks, Rajiv. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you here on the podcast with us today, Amy. I mean, I mean, you and I have known each other for about 10 years. But what I think is, you know, the things that you've accomplished during your career and the things that you're working on now, I'm sure the things you're planning to do are going to be of a big help to our audience. Um, just for yeah. those who don't, who don't know Amy, right? Amy is somebody who, if I, if I may say, who is traditionally or classically trained as a journalist. Right. You have the, the BS journalism from Northwestern, obviously the, the school of all schools for um, for journalism. You worked for the Miami Herald, which was a, it, you know, was and still is a major newspaper. 
sidebar, you know, Miami Herald is the, is the paper that broke the Jeffrey Epstein story recently, right? So that's a pretty serious journalistic enterprise. And then you, you worked for some major papers, some major uh, uh, organizations here in the New York area, which I think is where you're from originally. Mm-hmm. And then you've really made a, a very successful transition from traditional media to digital media. And I think that that, I think that's the kind of thing where you could really set a good example for a lot of the folks in the media business as they're trying to bridge that gap. So I'd love to kind of, you know, because we're all about networking, but, you know, networking encompasses, you know, your brand, it encompasses the community you're building, the persona you're trying to create for yourself. Um, and that, you know, you've spent so much time, you know, as your own, cons- as your own consulting practice, and then now you have a, a major client. Uh, in, in, in the fintech space, I believe, that for, for which you're doing marketing. Could you kind of just take us through a little bit kind of your journey as to why you went into journalism and, and when you realized, oops, journalism isn't going to be the same as, as it always has been. And maybe I better start to figure out, you know, what's going on here. Um, sure. Uh, basically, the Cliff's Notes version is that I wanted to be a, a starving novelist living in a loft in Greenwich Village when I was a little girl growing up on Long Island, until I realized that I would be starving because I would have to have some job that would pay the rent for that loft in Greenwich Village. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I thought, oh, journalism, I can write and, and make money, because that's a real big money-making profession. Um, but by the time I got to college, I was really very enamored of actually being a journalist. Um, and I, you know, had internships uh, at the Courier Journal in Louisville and at the Miami Herald and um, went to the Herald upon graduation, actually graduated into a recession as many older Gen Xers did um, and uh, uh, worked there for a few years, uh, worked for a paper in suburban Phoenix for a few years, came back to New York to work for the Gannett uh, newspapers uh, in suburban New York. Um, and when I was uh, a Metro editor uh, for the Rockland County edition, um, I was, uh, you know, sort of seeing how um, a lot of, uh, seeing the digital revolution really, and um, sort of exploring different ways to do uh, digital distribution of our content. Amy, and, what, what year was this? Um, 2007 to 2008. Okay. Um, and uh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, uh, found uh, Dig and Reddit and StumbleUpon and my blog log and blog catalog and all these sort of different uh, I know yeah, I really dated myself with with some names uh, delicious uh, <laughs> um, and started you know just started using all of these started bookmarking our content everywhere started networking on them because I found that you know you couldn't um, you couldn't really uh, get anywhere on any of these platforms without you know connecting with other people and 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 sort of seeing what they were doing and not only emulating them and sort of what they were doing, but also, yeah, you know, share, you know, building communities of people who were, you know, uh, supporting each other's submissions really. Um, and, 
I ended up becoming the top female submitter of all time on dig. And I was in the top 15 overall, <laughs> I think like number 13. Uh, it was funny because the, the New York times when uh, dig launched its version four, um, uh, I was one of the people they interviewed and uh, the reporter's editor uh, said, well, how does she know she's the top woman? Everybody above her, you know, has has pseudonyms. And so he called me back and I said, well, Mr. Babyman, that's Andrew Sorsini. And he lives in, in Southern California and is a film editor for Disney. And number two, M. Salim, that's Muhammad Salim. And he lives in Chicago. And basically, <laughs> I just ran through literally everybody who was above me and their names and what they did. And he's like, OK, uh, <laughs> it's like, I guess I guess you you do know and you you are. So, OK. Um, <laughs> And uh, it, it was um, your community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew uh, most of them I'd met in person uh, by that point. Um, you know, there were a couple of people who I, I hadn't met, but they weren't really very active anymore. And I didn't know them personally, but uh, because they had sort of no longer been active. But, you know, folks like Andy and Moo did. So, you know, we all knew each other and, and um, knew what each other did <coughs> and where we lived and what, you know, all of that. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, in fact, just for the benefit of our listeners, could you maybe break down a little bit about what DIG is? Sure. That's part one. And part two is how it's used. Or I don't know if it's changed a bit over the yeah. years, but uh, maybe how you used it then. And if you still use it, how you use it now. So I think for context, I think it'll, it'll be helpful. Sure, sure. Um, Dig was one of the earliest, um, uh, I guess, sort of fell into the category of social bookmarking sites yep. where people submitted content and other people voted it up or down. Um, Delicious was more like literally bookmark, like your, your Safari or Chrome or Firefox bookmarks, but um, on the internet, whereas Dig was more of a social and and upvoting community. Basically, if you didn't hit the front page within 24 hours, um, your submission sort of, you know, faded away. Uh, whereas Delicious, it was more like literally you went into it and you could have all your bookmarks. And if you weren't at home on your home browser, you could. Though there were, you know, some social aspects to it. Uh, but Dig Dig was actually um, at Dig and Reddit started within six months of each other. I think Dig was like six months older, um, but they basically started with about six months of each other, were very similar. The primary difference between them was that Reddit had all of its um, subreddits, which were its own sub communities. Dig was, um, even though there were categories, it was really one site um, and, uh, and you didn't have all these, these separate communities. Um, Really what I used it for at the time was um, for uh, traffic generation. Um, and that's really what most people were using it for. We weren't supposed to admit that at the time because that's not what it was supposed to be about. It was about, this was supposed to be about, you know, finding cool stuff on the internet and submitting it and other people, you know, liking it and upvoting it. But, you know, that's just, the, the fact is it's, it's 2022 right now, that's a long time ago. And everybody knew at the time, that's not how it was being used. And people certainly know now that that's not how it was being used. Um, but the, you know, the, the fact is you were still um, submitting the best 
content. You weren't submitting, you know, like garbage stuff that you knew that nobody would like because it still wasn't going to get upvoted. Um, and uh, I, I don't really use it that much today. I mean, since Betaworks bought it, it's just, it's much more of a content site. Uh, I still look at it and see stuff that's on it, but it's not a social site, uh, mm. you know, in, in the way that it was. Um, but that was, it, it was bigger than Reddit at the time. Um, obviously Reddit survived and Dig didn't. There's a lot of reasons for that. And that's a whole uh, podcast in right. poor, <laughs> poor user experience and not listening to your community. Uh, but that's, like I said, that's a whole other, <laughs> whole other thing. Um, but I was using it. And so when I, I, I was the third, in the third round of layoffs uh, that year at my uh, newspaper, and, um, and it was funny because the executive editor said to me, you know, well, you just keep doing what you're doing with all the online stuff and, and you'll be fine. That's the future. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay. <laughs> so Amy, in fact, what you said, <laughs> something that you said like a few sentences ago, just kind of like resonated with me. You said that you use Dig to submit content that you thought would be relevant to the audience at the time so that it would then get upvoted. And when it would get upvoted, you would then see it on the homepage. So my, my question is, and I think this is how it kind of ties into networking extremely well, uh, is uh, like networking is all about the exchange of ideas. And we're trying to kind of uh, try to query people to kind of get, get to know them better. So the question to you is when you were selecting content that you thought was going to be either relevant, juicy. So can you just maybe explain a little bit of the psychology there as to is the, was, was the content from a certain category? Like, was it entertainment? Was it news? Was it finance? Like, what was it? And also <laughs> the role of the headline in, I guess, scintillating or tantalizing the attention of people. Sure. I mean, you know, the, the, the content could be from, uh, from any category, really. Um, I mean, you have to remember, I, I spent 20 years in, in newsrooms across the country. Um, Chicago, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Phoenix Metro, South Florida, New York. Um, I knew what people read. I mean, not even without web analytics. I mean, I knew what sold on the single copy sales. Like I was Metro editor. My job was to know, uh, you know, I, I had access through my boss who was the managing editor uh, to the, you know, single copy sales. I knew what sold, you know, on the, I mean, I knew subscription um, uh, numbers, but I also knew which days, you know, and, the, uh, the papers maybe, sold out of the news boxes. When you say single copy, what are you referring to? Like out of the news boxes or at newsstands, you know, not subscription. Oh, like you mean the physical? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, right. <laughs> yes. right. Um, I'm, yes. Remember, newspapers used to be about, physical. This is, 2000, <laughs> this is like 99 through, <laughs> through two, 2009. So even, even in 2008, 2009, you know, single copy sales, on uh, you know subscriptions that was still primary you right know, i knew i knew it sold newspapers i i understood what sold newspapers i understood uh what made a boring headline I, I mean headlines have always been sort of my weakest point but i say that as a journalist i think probably compared to the average 
individual, I'm probably better at writing headlines, but um, I, I, you know, compared to a good headline writer at a newspaper, I'm really all at it because <laughs> there is definitely an art uh, and, and a science uh, to that. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I knew what, what interested people and it was, it was different things. It was, um, I mean, it's, it's what is, what is news? News is something unexpected and, and, and different and new. You know, that's, that's really, that's what news is. It, you know, if it's this, the reason what, you know, people are like, oh, all news is bad news. It's like, no, new, like the things that interest people about news are not, you know, plane landed safely. It, <laughs> right. it's, it's, I mean, it just yes. isn't, you know, that's, that's not news. It's, it would, it would be, it would be really scary if that was actually news that, you know, that the planes landed safely. I mean, the, the whole idea is they're supposed to, and that's their job. They're the job of an airplane and a pilot and an airplane right. is to, to land it's, safely. It's news when they don't land safely. Yeah. Um, and in fact, Victor, I wanted to ask you, so like Victor has this patent pending, amazing uh, thing called the impresario approach. So Victor, I wanted to ask you like, a lot of what Amy is saying kind of ties into the impresario approach, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Because it's, it's all about kind of getting people's attention and sort of the, the, the pattern interrupt, which is a term certainly you hear a lot these days, uh, which is kind of like the headline, right? The headline has to show something that's unusual to get my attention. Because um, mm -hmm. if it's the usual, then obviously people won't pay attention to it. And, and it's also about sort of standing out and building your own brand. And so one of the things I'd, I'd love to talk to you a little bit here, Amy, is, is sort of the, the brand that you've developed and how that fits into your current networking strategy, right? Because I, I know you've got this full-time job you know, with the fintech, and then you, you have your own consulting practice. So I don't know if you're still in the networking, if you feel you're still in the networking game or whether you're observing it more from afar. So maybe well, just to set the context. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that... Um... Uh, just to clar clarify one thing, it's not um, the fintech space. I actually work work for a fund manager. Um, okay. I'm a full time contractor. Okay. Um, and so, um, uh, the way I look at at networking, though, is that um, you're always networking. Right. I mean, you okay, should good. always be networking. Um, I I have this role now because um, I can I can actually trace it back. I went to a conference. It was the uh, 140 conference, like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Maybe it was 11 years ago um, in New York. And I went to um, the after party and I met this woman uh, who I'm still friends with. And at the time I was, um, I had a, a, I think it was like a weekly column or something, or I wrote regularly for uh, Network World on open source for the enterprise. And the company she worked for was open source and it was uh, uh, telecom. And so we were talking about that. And then um, she invited me as a guest of her company to another conference that was uh, TwitterCon, which was run by wow. Tonya Reese, uh, who I'm still friends with. And Tonya later invited, and so I met Tonya there because I was live tweeting the conference. And then um, Tonya invited me into this uh, private Facebook group uh, where I became friends with, um, with Danny Brown, 
And um, Danny later um, connected me with a former coworker of his, Hesse Jones, who, uh, and I'm still friends with Danny and I'm still friends with Hesse. And um, Hesse had me um, uh, put together a Gen X group because she already had her consulting firm already had a group of uh, millennials where they sort of talked about issues specific to millennials and they wanted to do the same thing uh, for Gen X. And one of the people she connected me to in that group was Ryan Pinnell, who is uh, my boss now, who's the person who two summers ago said, uh, so how are you? Because besides the election and the pandemic and stuff, he was, you know, checking in. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm other than looking for, you know, an, a new job or role or whatever, um, I'm, I'm COVID good. That's kind of what I called it at the time. It's like, you know, we were healthy, we were healthy and, uh, and had a roof over our heads. So as far as I was concerned, that was uh, pretty good as far as things right. went. And, uh, and he said, oh, well, you know, I might have something for you. And so we talked and basically since then I've been in this. And I mean, as you can hear, like, not only do I remember where it happened, but I mean, I know all of the people in that chain and I'm still friends with all of the people in that chain. And we, he and I met like eight to 10 years ago. And it was just, you know, less than two years ago that I started working with him. And when we met, there was no thinking, you know, that we were going to work together. You know, it wasn't, we didn't meet because of that, because it was Gen X and we got along. And so we, you know, always stayed in touch and, and communicated. And he was still in film production at the time. And I was, I don't even remember what I was doing at that particular Amy? time. Yeah. So you mentioned something that was a little bit interesting. You said that you kind of almost like in a sequence, like a DNA sequence, mentioned like the different, I guess, uh, molecules, how they kind of like mm-hmm. connected to each other. Uh, so I guess the question to you is, do you have a strategy or a psychology for keeping in touch with people? And like, what is it? Like, can you maybe give us some hacks, cheats, tricks, anything that can help our audience? I'm, I'm probably the worst with that because it, it really just sort of happens. And I find very often that there are people who I'm in touch with a lot for a short period of time, like we'll, you know, go out for coffee or drinks or meet up for lunch or whatever and, and, um, and, and talk a lot. And, you know, just as things sort of happen, you sort of drift apart a little bit. And then suddenly one day, one of you is just like, Hey, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then you catch up over a call or or uh, or whatever. I I I I mean, I think my primary strategy in that is is just as I appreciate when people don't hold it against me when I sort of fade away for a while. Um, I I appreciate it when people reach back out all of a sudden and we haven't talked in you know three years or something or five years even. And it's just like, oh, wow, yeah, are you? And, you know, as, as a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because um, Tonya and I recently uh, reached out to each other. We're like, when was the last time we even saw each other? And we've been trying for about a month now to coordinate when we're both going to be in New York City on the same day 
um, to see if we could actually see each other in, in person again <laughs> after all this time. But I think that I, I think that that's really one of the key things because you can't really have, I feel like if you, if you have, and, and this is just, and this is just for me because I, I know there are other people who set very specific touch points and that's very um, uh, uh, real for them and, and in the way they communicate with people. And so it's, it's just like, that's not me. My, I'm, I'm a lot more random about it. And I, I feel like if I tried to like put on my calendar, oh, get in touch with so-and-so that it wouldn't be genuine. It wouldn't be authentic for me. That, yeah. you know, what is authentic for me is seeing that person on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or, or an article by them or someone mentions them and I'm like, oh my God, I haven't talked to Victor in like three years. I should reach out and see how he's, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's what's authentic to me what's authentic to other people can be the, the, you know, sort of setting, setting a schedule and being like, Oh, you know, I'd like to, you know, make sure I stay in touch with Amy. I'm going to put it on my calendar. That's, that's what's authentic and genuine for them. And I, I appreciate that because that also helps me keep in touch with certain people who, uh, who network and interact that way. I think really the key thing there is doing what is, is, is real for you. And, and it's funny because there's this person who um, uh, I was meaning to reach out to because I wanted to connect him with a friend of mine. And I, and I'd been thinking, ah, I need to, I need to reach out to Warrington. Um, you know, I really need to uh, send him a note. And, and then I got an email from him the other day and I was like, Oh, great. Wow. Because I've been meaning to, <laughs> to reach out. And he's very good about, you know, every, once in a, I don't know what his, his formula is or whatever, but every once in a while in, in reaching out and doing that. Um, so it didn't shock me that, that he did because it had been a while, but it was just funny because at that point I was just like, I need to remember to, to you know, reach out and say hi. And you know, it would be beneficial literally for both him and this other person to connect. And then you know, in, his, in his very organized way, he reached out so it just you know it, it it works what what is what is genuine and authentic for you is really the best way to do it and I don't think that anybody can necessarily learn anything from me other than that other than you know what works for me is sort of that random nature of it Please send us your comments and questions about networking by posting them in the comments below. Or for a quick response, email us at dintlearn@harvard@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. It means the world to us. Try today's networking nugget and tell us whether it worked or if you hate it or if you'd like us to brainstorm a solution for you, no charge. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting us by listening and sharing our content with people you care about. That's all this week from Rajiv and Victor. Thanks for listening to Things I Didn't Learn at Harvard. Hopefully you learned something here today.